Good morning. It's Labor Day weekend, and for most of us, this signals the end of the summer and the beginning of the school and the church program year. That's why you'll see a Happy New Year sign up on our corner this week. Labor Day is a pivot point. We mentally close the door on the summer vacation season and kind of gear up for what lies ahead. One of the things I like about living in this part of the country is the change of seasons, that we do have a rhythm, a flow to life, a change of pace that's in harmony with nature and the change of seasons that other parts of the country may not have. I mean, if you live in Arizona, you only have two seasons. It's hot and really hot. I like the rhythm of our seasons. But I also approach Labor Day weekend with a sense of fear and trepidation because I can just feel this tidal wave of busyness and activity and stuff to do coming my way. So I look back over my calendar for the summer, there was a lot of blank space, not as many meetings or appointments or deadlines. I was, I was freer, not as much pressure, a little more relaxed. But as I look ahead, I see all that white space filling up. Between now and Thanksgiving, I have this hold your breath because here it comes kind of feeling. Like there's this tidal wave of things to do and schedules to manage coming my way. And that wave brings with it some serious anxiety. Because when that wave hits, you can feel like, you know, you're going to be overwhelmed or lose your balance, get knocked off your feet. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way this morning. Time. Mick Jagger famously sang, time is on my side. Well, do you feel that way? Is time your ally or your enemy? Is time an asset or your antagonist? It's an important question because what we do with our time, how we look at our time, how our time affects us, it really is a spiritual issue. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the Christians living in the ancient city of Ephesus. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Another translation says, make, make the best use of your time despite all the difficulties of these days. Or this way, use every chance you have to do good. Don't waste your time. These are evil times, so make every minute count. I guess people haven't changed all that much in 2,000 years. The people of Paul's day struggled with their time, too. Now, obviously, many of their pressures were different. They didn't have emails and text messages and social media to keep track of. They didn't have the benefits or the burdens of the many technologies that fill up so much of our time. And yet time was still an issue for first century Christians meeting in house churches in Asia Minor, just as it is for people gathered to worship Jesus in 21st century New Jersey. There's a basic reality here, something that touches every single human being that has ever walked on planet Earth. We all have exactly the same amount of time. That's just a simple truth. We all have exactly the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week, 8,760 hours in a year. Doesn't matter where you live, how much money you make, your race, your age, your gender, your lifestyle, your height, your weight, your career, your lack of employment, your marital status, your level of ed education, every person on the planet, we all have exactly the same amount of time. So whether you have six children or you're an empty nester, a bushman living in the Kalahari Desert or a businessman living in Beijing, time is the one great equalizer. You can't add to it or subtract from it. Nobody gets any more time than it, or any less time than anybody else. God gives everyone the exact same amount of time every single day. Time is inelastic. It can't be stretched, can't be hoarded, saved, or stored. 
Now, I know there's going to be someone here who's an expert in quantum physics or some junior Einstein who's going to want to argue with me on this, but please don't. For us mere mortals, we all have exactly the same amount of time. The difference then comes in what we do with our time. And make no mistake about it, we choose how to fill up all that time. And that's why time is a spiritual issue. We choose. How we fill up our time reflects what's going on on the inside. What we do with our time reflects the kind of relationship we have with Christ, our, our real priorities, not our pretend ones. Our time reveals what we truly value, not what we wish we valued. Our time shows us who we really are, not who we aspire to be. If we don't see time as a serious issue, then our relationship with God and our relationships with other people will begin to suffer. So let's face it, there's a lot of pressure on us on how to spend our time. And some of those pressures are unique to us here in the Northeast, but some of those are pressures, I think, common among all people. For example, I think there's just something in human nature that is drawn to speed, to doing things faster than they've been done before, partially so we can fit more in to the time that we have, but also human beings, we just like to go faster just for the thrill of it. There's a part of us that likes the adrenaline rush that comes from moving faster than someone else. And so we race. We race to be the fastest. We race with our feet, our airplanes, our cars, our boats. If it moves, human beings will find a way to race it. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jessie Combs. She's a race car driver and TV personality. She held the women's land speed record for four-wheeled vehicles at 398 miles per hour. This week she tried to break the overall women's land speed record where she would have had to exceed 512 miles an hour, but that wasn't fast enough. She was aiming to go 619 miles per hour, basically driving a rocket with wheels. Well, she didn't make it. She started out okay, but there was a shimmy. The shimmy turned into a shake, and then she lost control, crashed, and tragically she was killed. She died at the age of 39. There is something in human beings that makes us want to go faster, something in us that believes that faster is always better. A few years ago, AT&T did a series of television commercials where the host interviewed children in an elementary school classroom and asked, which is better, faster or slower? Well, the kids immediately, they all respond, faster, of course, faster, faster is always better. Only an idiot would want to go slower. Now, AT&T was selling faster internet, but the kids didn't know that. And even at that young age, they were already fully indoctrinated into our addiction to make everything faster. Like the phrase made famous by the fighter pilot character Tom Cruise played in the movie Top Gun, I feel the need for speed. Doesn't that describe the pressure our culture puts on us to accelerate into life? The pressure to make life go faster. It's not just out there. We have internalized it. It's not just out there. It is inside us, inside our hearts, in the way that we think, the way we think about ourselves. We should be doing more. There's, that more is always better. More camps, more sports, more activities for the kids because we don't want them to miss out on anything. More stuff for the family, more stuff at church, more weekends away. Like an overstuffed suitcase, we keep trying to cram more and more in even though the seams are bursting. But no matter how much we try to cram into our lives, there are always only ever going to be 24 hours in a day and 168 hours in a week. Nothing will change that. And that's when the rocket starts to wobble. I saw one study recently that found that commuters experience greater levels of stress than fighter pilots and riot police. And a lot of you face that five times 
uh, five days a week. There's no doubt that when our lives are continually exposed to high levels of stress, we're more prone to anxiety and resentment and impatience and irritability. And conversely, there's a unique kind of pressure on retired people. How are you going to fill up the hours of your day now that you're not riding the train or going to an office? How do you fill that void, especially if being busy has been tied to your sense of self-worth and self-esteem? I mean, who am I if I'm not busy? Empty nester couples struggle with this. What do I do with my time when the kids are all gone and the house is empty? That time gap, that void produces its own kind of stress. And students, students today face increasing pressure to do more, to pack more in, pad your college application, and so they begin living this frantic, frenetic lifestyle at an earlier and earlier age. Elementary school kids are pressured by their stressed out parents to adopt the same kind of high-pressure lifestyle that their parents say they hate. That's the insanity of how we're living. But nobody can throttle it back. Nobody has the courage to slow it down. We're all afraid of being left behind. So is it any wonder that people then, young and old, have to turn to drinking or drugging or sexing or pornography to try and relieve the stress that they're under? So many people fatigue because they're not sure all these things they're so busy doing will ever really matter in the long run. These issues of time and stress and anxiety reflect all of us. So as the Apostle Paul says, it's a challenge to make the most of your time. How do we do that? What are some things that we can do to pivot away from a stress-saturated life and have a better sense of balance in our lives? And to me, balance is the key, because I like being busy. I think clearer when I have deadlines. I, I get more done when there's a little pressure to get things done. When I'm not busy, I tend to waste time on trivial and unproductive things. And so for me, it's not about having this placid life where I just sit in a comfy chair with my feet up all day long. There is a time for relaxation, but there's also a time to work hard and to be focused and to make every minute count. So the first pivot point is to recognize what I said earlier. Everyone has exactly the same amount of time. So you need to stop making excuses when you say, I don't have enough time. Everybody has the exact same amount of time. So you have to take responsibility for how you use your time. You have to own that. No one's putting a gun to your head. No one pre-programs your schedule without your permission. You may not like the consequences if you don't do certain things, but it is still your time. And unless you own how you are spending your time, you'll always feel like you're the victim, like you're just a ping-pong ball that other people are knocking around. It's your life and you need to own it. The second pivot point is something Kevin DeYoung says in his book titled Crazy Busy. I like that title, Crazy Busy. Not just busy, crazy busy. That's so descriptive of our world. And Kevin DeYoung says that the one thing you need to recognize is what your time is doing to you. You have to begin to recognize what being crazy busy is actually doing to you physically, in your health, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. What is it doing to your relationships and to your faith? Often people parade their busyness as a badge of honor. Being crazy busy is a status symbol. Everyone talks about, oh, how busy they are, because that's what's expected. How can you be a valuable human being if you're not crazy busy? But do we recognize what that mentality is doing to us? Everyone feeling so frazzled and overwhelmed most of the time. There are so many good people who just kind of turn into angry snapping turtles because of all the pressure they under. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. It's happened to you. 
snapping turtles, this bottled up anger, frustration, anxiety, and then you snap at people. So much of that is related to our crazy, busy time stress that we have put on ourselves. There's so many people who have lost their joy in life. They, they get into a groove, they just go on autopilot. And life, they just get numb. They don't feel it. They just go through the motions going from one event to the next to the next. One activity to the next. Numb. That is how they cope with everything. And when people go numb, then they're going to struggle to connect with their spouse or their children or their friends. They struggle to connect with God. They struggle because people often tell me then they don't have time to read the Bible, don't have time to be in a small group Bible study, don't have time to pray. And then when they finally do, the Bible seems closed to them. They don't get anything out of it. They try to pray. The words don't come. God seems like he's moved to a different zip code. But people don't seem to connect that numbness with the lifestyle they are living. They just want God to bless a lifestyle that is deadly to the human spirit, and God won't do that. They're experiencing the reality that faster isn't better when it comes to our relationships with God or with each other. So there's a word for this numb feeling. It's not a word that's used very much. The word is acedia. Acedia is a listlessness, a, a sense of being disconnected, of not caring. It's the I don't care attitude. How often do we hear people say that? That's acedia. A numbness towards life that manifests itself in the fact that when people finally do have free time, they just want to vegetate in front of a TV or a cell phone screen. Spend hours and hours in almost a, a narcotic trance doing nothing, binge-watching, surfing social media. Acedia becomes a type of apathy where people can't engage with other people, can't engage with God, can't engage with their faith, can't engage with the kind of life God is calling them to live. And that is just not healthy. Do you struggle with acedia? Do you know what your sense of time is doing to you? And I ask this not as someone who sort of reached the summit and is now throwing a rope down to the poor soul struggling on the side of the mountain. I struggle with this too. I am right there on the cliff face trying to find my next toehold. I'm raising the issue because I want to know why life feels the way it does, why I am the way I am, and what I can do to change. You see, I know all the time management techniques. I've been to all the seminars. I've read all the books. I could teach class. I've taught classes on time management. But I'm not interested in giving time management tips. I want to understand what's going on on the inside, deeper in our hearts. What motivates us to continue to do these things that we know are deadly to the spiritual life, deadly to spiritual balance? I want to know why when the rocket starts to wobble, why do people push the accelerator and try to go faster rather than letting up, easing back and slowing down? So the third pivot point for me is the hardest one. It is to recognize that there is time to do everything God wants me to do. There is time to do everything God wants you to do. God is not the one leading us into being crazy busy. God desires for us as his children to have a sense of balance, to know the power of his presence and his peace in our hearts. There is time to do everything God wants us to do, but there isn't time to do everything everybody else wants you to do, or even time to do everything you want to do. And that requires us to embrace something that's almost become a dirty word in some Christian circles. Self-discipline. Self-discipline. Self-discipline is a part of discipleship. Not to earn your salvation by doing good deeds, but to recognize that following Christ involves making choices, involves developing good habits, 
means living a life in a way that is going to be pleasing to God, not just pursuing my own agenda and then asking God to bless it. Discipleship involves self-discipline, and when it comes to our time, that means living by our priorities rather than by our pressures. Living by your priorities rather than your pressures. You have to know what is really important in your life so that your time revolves around those high-priority things rather than just letting your week fill up with all the trivia and interruptions and distractions. Self-discipline with your time, it's key to success in all areas of life, but especially in developing a spiritual life and a sense of balance. You've probably heard the story of the college professor who was trying to teach his freshman class on time. And on the first day of class, he picked up an empty glass jar, filled it with golf balls, and he asked the students if the jar was full, and they all agreed that it was. And then he picked up a box of pebbles, and he poured that into the jar, and he shook the jar lightly, and the pebbles rolled into all the spaces between the golf balls. And then he asked the students again if the jar was full, and they agreed, yes, it, it, it's full. Next, he picked up a box of sand, and he pours that into the jar, shook it, and of course, the sand filled up all the spaces between the pebbles and the golf balls. And he asked once more, is it full? They all said yes. So then the professor pulled out a cup of water, poured that into the jar, and said, now it's full. His point was that the jar represents your life. The golf balls are the important things, the high-priority things, the things that if everything else was lost and they were the only things left, that your life would still be full. Your relationship with God, family, your health, your friends. The pebbles are the things that are... So that, are, that are also important, but on a smaller scale. Your, your job, your schooling, and so on. And the sand and the water, everything else. The small stuff, the trivial, the unnecessary. Our time problems come when we put the sand and the water into the jar first. And then the pebbles. And then there's no room for the golf balls. We focus on the trivial and our time fills up. If we spend all our time and energy on the small stuff, we will never have room for the things that, are really, that we say are really important to us. Friends, please pay attention to what your sense of time is doing to you. Is it making your life healthier? Is it drawing you closer to Christ? Or is your rocket starting to wobble? We've got to take care of the golf balls first, the things that really matter because the rest of it is just sand. This fall, I really want to encourage you to look at your priorities, to wrestle with your time, to wrestle with your schedule, and what is really important to you, the kind of life you really want to live, you and your family. These are difficult days, so don't waste your time. Make the most of each and every day. Use every chance you have to do good and to serve Christ, to pray about your day, to pray about your time, to pray during your day. And turn your time into an ally and not your enemy so that you can say that with Christ, time is on my side. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this great equalizer, this gift of time. As frustrating as it is, as often as it becomes a source of anxiety for us, Lord, there are too many of us where the rocket is starting to wobble because we're trying to do too much too fast too soon. Help us to have the courage to say no. Help us to have courage to turn the throttle back. Help us to have the courage to recognize what are the really important things we want to build our life around. To pray and to ask you to reveal those important things so that we spend our, money, our time and our energy in the right way. In serving you. Because the days are evil, Lord. And we need to have an impact for Christ through the way that we use our time. We thank you for this challenge in Christ's name.